0: A stalker is an individual who feels like they're entitled to another person's attention and they can come into anyone's life in a variety of ways. It might be an ex-lover who just can't move on. It could be a coworker or acquaintance, sickly unsatisfied with just a platonic relationship and really wanting to take things up a notch. Or, and this is the one that's most terrifying, it could be a random person that by some twist of wicked fate you capture the attention of. There are five creepy and terrifying stalker stories. Number five, Sophie Walker. According to the data, stalking is one of the many forms of abuse that one in five women and one in 10 men experience in a lifetime. While we often think of stalkers as a person seeking validation for their feelings, this isn't always the case. In London, Sophie Walker has been working on the rights and protection of women. In 2015, she founded the Women's Equality Party, or WEP, and one of her advocacies was the registration of stalkers as grave criminal offenders, similar to that of a sexual predator. This came to be when one of the WEP supporters, famed singer Lily Allen, asked for help with regards to her horrifying stalking ordeal. The English singer had a very frightening experience of being harassed by a perpetrator for seven long years. It culminated when her stalker broke into her home, screaming at her while he carried a knife. Luckily, nothing terrible happened, and in light of these gruesome incidents, Walker, Allen, and the rest of the WEP were campaigning for authorities to take stalkers more seriously before more incidents like this could occur. Sophia did get some support in her campaign, but not everyone agreed with her, and those who didn't like it further showed her more reason why, in fact, this legislation needed to be passed. Because in April of 2020, Walker found her car tires slashed. At first, she thought it was just some people venting out their disappointment over the nationwide COVID-19 lockdown, but then it happened again and this time the woman and her husband knew that they were being targeted. They contacted authorities and installed security cameras, but this didn't deter the attacker at all, because a few days later, their family dinner was cut short when their back fence was lit on fire. It was quickly put out, but surprisingly, investigators didn't believe her suspicion that she was being targeted and stalked. The following day, flames yet again engulfed their property, and this time it was much bigger and destroyed her children's playhouse, the garden, fence, and nearby trees. Now fearing for the lives of her daughters, she sent them off to stay with relatives while the couple remained at the house and stayed up all night. Nothing happened, but two days after that, they heard a loud crash in the front of their house. Their attacker had just thrown a brick through their living room window. Their newly installed CCTV picked up an image of a man wearing a hood and called on the police who then rushed to catch the perpetrator. The man whom Walker saw many times was arrested but was later released on bail and fear once again returned for the Walkers. Less than a week after getting out the stalker gained access to their roof. Police intervened and the man was arrested but the same thing happened and he got out again on bail. It was really only when Walker decided to seek the public's help that the police decided that this could be more than just a harassment case. He was able to get a restraining order filed against her stalker, and this meant that he could be charged with felony charges the minute he set foot near her property. The piece may have finally returned to the Walker household, but the trauma drawn out from all those horrifying moments should be enough to help her get that legislation passed. Number 4. Priya Darshini Matu The murder case of Priya Darshini Matu is one of the most controversial criminal cases to ever occur in India. Right after receiving her Bachelor's of Commerce degree, Mathu immediately applied and was accepted at the prestigious Delhi University where she took an undergraduate law degree course. The 25-year-old was already in her third year when she seriously caught the attention of Santosh Singh, who was also a student at the university. Mr. Singh would try his luck, chatting her up and trying to take her out, but Matu always refused. But the smitten suitor didn't take too well to rejection at all. He slowly began stalking her, following her wherever she went. Now this went on for the entire year of 1995 and it came to a point when the woman decided to formally file a complaint to police. Authorities did provide her with a personal security escort, but even then, this did not deter Singh. Eventually, his extreme obsession developed into something more malicious. On January 23rd, 1996, the security guard at the house where Matu was staying found the law student's body lifeless and covered in her own blood. The victim had been sexually assaulted and her face battered repeatedly with a motorcycle helmet. She was then ultimately killed by being strangled to death with a wire. It didn't take long to find the perpetrator because a witness reportedly saw Santos entering the property shortly before her death. He was subsequently arrested and then charged with Matu's rape and murder. Justice, however, was not easy to achieve for the victim's family because Santosh came from an influential family. See, his father was, at that time, the Inspector General of Police in the province, and during the course of the investigation, the same man served as the Joint Commissioner of Police in Delhi. A series of trials took place, and to the surprise of everyone, In 1999, the court decided that Santosh was most likely the man to have committed the crime, but still they had to acquit him because they were not 100% certain. This verdict was met with much anger from the public, but the family of the deceased didn't give up and continued to make appeals over the decision. And then, in 2006, finally, the initial verdict was reversed, and Santosh was sentenced to death. And yet, such was the extent of his family's power and influence that, despite the brutality of his crime, they were able to dissuade the court to commute his sentence to life in prison in 2010 instead. Number three, Mary Stoffer. Having a crush on someone is very much a normal thing, especially among teenagers. Ming Sen Shu was a boy who felt butterflies in his stomach every time he saw Mary Stauffer. However, his infatuation developed into something very intense and something horrible unfolded. Originally born in Taiwan, Shu immigrated to Minnesota where he grew up. Even at a young age, his family could attest to his violent tendencies as he was often caught beating his siblings. His delinquent behavior worsened during his teenage years where he was accused of starting fires on other people's property. He was also once reprimanded for throwing rocks at passing cars. Then, between the years of 1965 and 66, something interesting happened in his life. While attending Alexander Ramsey High School in Roseville, he developed a crush on his ninth grade math teacher, Mary Stoffer. In his eventual confession, he revealed that his infatuation had grown to something that would have him sexually fantasizing about the teacher. He would often write stories about having sex with the woman. In later years, though, after so many days of longing for her touch, Shu realized that his fantasies weren't enough. At all costs, he had to make them a reality. And so in 1975, long after he finished schooling, he went to a home in Duluth, Where he thought his ex teacher lived. He broke into that house, and confused and scared, he attempted to kidnap a person and held everyone else there captive. But because it was the wrong house and the wrong person, the young man eventually just walked away from the scene, and surprisingly, the crime was never reported. His target was actually in the Philippines at the time with her family. They were in that country to work as Christian missionaries and eventually returned to Minnesota in 1979, oblivious of the kidnapping attempt. Shu soon learned about their return, and a year later the former student began to stalk her at her residence on the Bethel University campus in Arden Hills. And so on May 16, 1980, 15 years after he first saw his math class teacher The Taiwanese-American followed Stauffer and her eight-year-old daughter Elizabeth to a salon. As soon as they left the establishment, Ming quickly approached the pair and kidnapped them at gunpoint. Stauffer and her girl were then both tied up and forced into the trunk of the woman's car. The kidnapper drove away quickly, but soon after, he was forced to stop because his captives were making too much noise. In a stroke of very bad luck, a six-year-old boy named Jason Wilkman was nearby the car when he pulled over. Wilkman approached the vehicle, when he saw what was happening and not wanting to blow his cover, Shu grabbed the boy and threw him into the trunk as well. He then drove further to a national forest and when he stopped, he pulled the boy out and beat him to death with a metal rod. After that, he took the stoffers back to his home. The horrors continued at his house, and Chu finally exacted his depraved fantasies by raping his former teacher several times. While well, in captivity, the mother and daughter were separated from one another. Elizabeth was kept in his van while Mary was left locked in a closet inside the residence. And to discourage any escaping attempts, he threatened that he would kill the staffer's husband and son if they ever dared do anything. Redemption, though, finally came on july seventh, two months after the kidnapping occurred. As soon as Shu left for work, Mary removed the hinge pin from the closet door where she was kept, and despite being chained, she was able to reach the phone and call the police. Ming was arrested at his workplace and kept in custody. During his subsequent trial, she still wasn't safe. The accused somehow managed to smuggle a knife into the courtroom, which he used to slash Mary's face with while she testified. A dangerous sexual predator, kidnapper, and murderer, she was ultimately sentenced to a total of 70 years in prison. The Stoffers' harrowing ordeal has since become an inspiration for several works, including a book, a TV series, and a movie. It was Mary's hope that their story would help heal those who fell victim to criminals, just like Ming-Shu. 2. Dr. Jan Falkowski and Deborah Pemberton What makes a stalker so dangerous is their unbridled obsession with their victim. It can be so strong that they have blinders on and don't care about the consequences of their actions. In 2001, 45-year-old Maria Marchese met for the first time Dr. Jan Fakowski, a psychiatrist who was treating her then-partner. She became instantly infatuated, and after getting a hold of his contact numbers and address, Marchese then began to stalk. She would constantly call him, write him letters, and even visit him at his office. She went on to claim that they were born for each other and meant to be together. Folkowski's relationship with his then-fiancée, Deborah Pemberton, was severely affected as the stalker continued to terrorize the doctor. And aside from the incessant calls, texts, and emails, Marchese would also make death threats to Pemberton, and as a result, the couple's wedding was called off in 2003. But the harassment certainly didn't end there, And after successfully ending Fulkowski's relationship with Pemberton, Marchese's goal was to damage his name and reputation. And she did so by accusing the doctor of rape. Sometime during that year, the woman had stolen a condom from the man's trash, then spilled his semen on her panties, and for over a year the psychiatrist lived under the suspicion from authorities. And then five days before he was due for trial his defense team was able to convince the court finally that he was framed after everything that happened his engagement broken his profession ruined and his name destroyed Dr. Falkowski finally got the justice he deserved in 2007 Marchese was sentenced to nine years in prison after she was found guilty of unleashing terror on the poor doctor's life Number 1. Lori Show. The story begins with two 16 year old best friends, Lori Show and Lisa Lambert. The two were students at Conestoga Valley High School in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but their friendship suffered a strain when Lambert became unreasonably jealous of Show because she thought that she was after her on and off again boyfriend, Lawrence Youngkin. Young and Ann's show dated for a little while when he and Lambert weren't together over one summer, but they fell off when the young man sexually assaulted her. He and Lisa got back together shortly after, and then she got pregnant with his child. Lori, meanwhile, lost complete interest with this guy at this point, but still the expectant teenager remained paranoid and jealous of her former friend. But Lambert decided to devote her time and energy into doing the only thing she could think of to remedy the situation, and that was to ruin Lori's life. It started with her making obscene phone calls and openly threatening the victim whenever she was in public. Lori's mother, Hazel, intervened and filed assault charges against Lisa, but it did little to stop the attacks. On December 21, 1991, Mrs. Sho received a phone call from what appeared to be a guidance counselor, and she was asked to drop by at school for a meeting about her daughter. But all of that was fake, and really part of Lisa's plan to make sure Lori would be home alone and vulnerable. After arriving at school and realizing she had no meeting with any guidance counselor, Hazel hurriedly went back home to check on her child but nothing could have prepared the mother for what she was about to find. Inside, she discovered Lori lying in a pool of blood. Her throat slashed and her chest stabbed several times. In the midst of the commotion, the dying victim managed to utter her last words. Michelle did it. Michelle is Lisa's middle name. Lambert was immediately arrested along with a female accomplice named Tana the Buck. Yunkin, meanwhile, was also nabbed for dropping the two girls off at Sho's house. The male suspect opted to testify against the two. Apparently, Buck was the one who slashed Lori's throat. After that, she and Lisa took turns stabbing her. For his testimony, he received a lesser sentence, while the girls received life without the possibility of Parole. This tragic incident prompted Hazel Show to campaign for Pennsylvania's anti-stalking laws. The law which took effect in 1993 indicated that anyone accused of committing such a horrific act may face felony charges of the third degree. So that's going to do it today, guys. Hope you enjoyed the video. Please do subscribe, tell your friends about us, and I'll see you in the next one.